Can you believe it? Nearly four months ago, we started recapping episodes of Holy Moly Season 3, and we're at Episode 9 to determine who is our last person to make the finale on the podcast. My name is Tom, and you also know me as Mr. T, and finally, I can call myself a competitive mini-golf winner after narrowly winning a putt-craft event last night. I'm half of a couple putts, a Season 1 contestant on Holy Moly, and you can find all the mini-golf designs, reviews, and more from myself and the Pink Putter at acoupleofputts.com and on social media at CouplePutts. And I'm Pat, but in the mini-golf world, I'm known better as the putting penguin, especially if you saw me on Season 1 of Holy Moly. Together with my friend Mandy, we run the Putting Penguin website and social media channels, as well as being very involved in the competitive side of the sport. We're winding down on Season 3 of Holy Moly, and this is going to be the last of our podcast before the finale. But before we cry about how we'll be out of our Thursday Night Lives, let's take a look at some mini-golf news around the world. And I'm going to start off with our recent tournament that was up in Booth Bay, Maine. So we talked about this in our upcoming tournaments podcast, and now it is a tournament that's in the rearview mirror. So we had our 10-round Lee Stoddard Dolphin Open. It was the 28th running of that tournament. And while I had pretty high standards for myself since I've had a win in three second places in recent years, I just squeaked into the money in sixth place after having a good start and kind of falling off. But the real story was Justin Seymour keeps up his incredibly hot Northeast mini golf streak going. He earned his fourth win of the 2021 season and he became a three-peat winner of the Lee Stoddard Dolphin Open as he won going away by about 10 strokes after the 10 rounds. So congratulations to Justin. My Personal best highlight of the weekend, however, was on a random whim of videotaping straight through with no editing a practice round. I managed to shoot a 29, which is the course record and only shot by I think four other people in the 31 year history of the course. So that was a pretty cool thing just to do after we said, Hey, let's videotape this round as a walkthrough to show everybody what it's going to go like. And we got to the end and it was like, Oh damn, we did well. So that's up on our Facebook page on Putting Penguin. And at some point we'll tidy it up a little bit and have it posted over on YouTube. So all could see my wonderful accomplishment. And as far as I know, it's the only 29 that has been recorded on video since some of them were done like, literally 30 years ago when the course opened Dang. that's wild yeah if you want to see like a comparison video aaron from o street plays that course in a recent video on their youtube channel he played pretty well and he ended up with like a 36 so 29 on any course is pretty good but that course those holes are not short and there's not a lot of room for error in a few of those so impressive playing and you got it documented well done yeah love it picks and it did happen so there we go (laughs) i'm going to talk about the second annual miniest mini golf open at lily putt in coon rapids minnesota that my wife and i as a couple of putts are going to be hosting we have our qualifying rounds starting next tuesday september 21st through saturday september 25th at 6 p.m that's our cutoff the top 10 scores will be tallied up and up to 20 people will be invited back to come back on that sunday morning september 26th for a single round championship match at lily Putt. we did it last year 
It ended in a tiebreaker that uh, went for a long time. It's a hole-in-one only on the 18th to break the tiebreaker, which can sometimes take forever because it's a 25-foot hole at least. So yeah, we're borrowing a little bit from Holy Moly on that, but you can get all the details at a acoupleofputts.com slash open. And another tournament that we'll hopefully have up on social media when this episode goes live, but you're probably some of the first people to hear about it. We have the Mighty Minotaur Mini Golf Tournament at Mount Atlanticus. That's going to be a collaboration between a couple of putts, the Putting Penguin, O Street Mini Golf, and a bunch of our putting friends that had played games at Mount Atlanticus during the 2019 Masters. And we thought, Let's do it again in 2021, and why not open it up to the public? So on October 8th and 9th, up until I think we said 6 p.m. on the 9th, people can play both courses and pay a little bit extra at $40, and they will be in the running to qualify for a nine-hole. It will be the back nine of one of the two courses that will be decided by a coin flip. They will play the back nine with the top eight players for considerable cash prizes. They'll get goodies from a couple of putts, Mount Atlanticus, Putting Penguin, and O Street, as well as Mini Golf Glory winning during the Masters weekend. So stay tuned. We're going to be sharing that out. We'll get out a website and we'll share that before the Masters and probably talk about it a little bit more, but stay tuned for that. Lots of competitive mini golf coming your way and we're happy to be presenting it together. Looking forward to it. I'm one of the more unique miniature golf courses I think we've ever played just style and size of it so really looking forward to what a tournament can do there especially because the scores could be low really low i rewatched the o street video of all of us playing back in 2019 i think aaron had a 31 and he said he had had a few beverages so <laughs> so could be the way to do it though could be the way to do it it's a it's a funky course so the combined two rounds could be in the high 50s low 60s is what we're thinking We'll see. And I will be remiss to not mention, but it'll depend on kind of when you're listening to this. So either it's a really about to happen or will have just happened. We do have our fifth annual mm. Matterhorn International Pro-Am that's happening on September 18th. We have a pro and amateur division. Really looking forward to that. The weather looks like it's going to clear up up here. Um, and we have almost 20 people registered right now. So again, that'll be all over social media. And uh, if you're listening to this before that, come on out. If you're in the area, if you're listening to it after it, I'm sure we'll recap it in our next episode as well. Now we're on to Holy Moly. So a couple brief reminders on how season three works as we're wrapping it up here. There's eight competitors who go head to head in a bracket one hole tournament with each match held on a different hole. The episode winner takes home the gold putter, the green plaid jacket. And for this episode, they will take the last spot in the super final where they'll have a chance to win $250,000. And by now we hope you're subscribed to us, but if not, make sure you do. And why not do it on as many platforms as possible to make us look good. Also go out and tell all your friends and family that getting quality mini golf news directly into their ears is good for their health. Hell, Joe Rogan can spit stuff out about COVID, we can tell you mini golf is good for you. And while you're at your computer, on your phone, or wherever you get to the internet, take a minute to give us a wonderful rating as well. It'll make us feel better. Have to remember neither of us, despite being mini golf champions in our own way, we're not holy moly winners. And now we're on to holy moly scramble time. And I'm gonna kick it off recapping round one where we started at the agony defeat we had Shane versus Matthew, which oddly enough, they're both lighting designers. Very specific career to have two people facing off. 
Matthew's into rescue dogs. And supposedly in the mini golf, although they just show him driving. And Shane has a dad that founded some golf magazine. While Shane got farther on Agony of Defeat, Matthew Wookie Wookman made an amazing putt over the two ramps to set himself up to win it. Shane unfortunately went off the side of the ramp, set up a harder second putt, and didn't advance. Matthew Wookie Wookman, the guy that doesn't have the golfing background, advances. And we're on to Double Dutch, where we have Tyler, who's a handyman from Colorado and makes goat sounds, and we have... Emily, who's 22 and a marketing director for a golf company. And you would think, well, the golf person's going to win this, but you'd be wrong. Emily gets hit in the face, not once, but twice by the windmills, which both of them get all the way through the windmills on their first putt. But Tyler makes it on his second. And because of those penalties, Emily didn't get a second crack at the hole. Tyler moves on and yet another golfer girl loses on holy moly. Speaking of golfer girls, on hole number three, we have Alyssa, who's 26 and an assistant golf coach and has some sort of pro golf background against Chelsea, who's 39, that makes custom cakes. On donut hole, They have the same result as everybody else, and I'll talk about it later, but they both failed. They didn't get past the first donut. And this was a weird one, but they kind of skipped through the putting, but Chelsea, the custom cake builder, beats the golfer and advances on to the second round. We finish off with the sharp-dressed Brian, who is a golf fixer, and Ray, who is a high school coach of golf on Turfing USA. Both of them get knocked off the surfboard and look good doing it. Brian, though, has the way better approach to the cup, gets it in and two, and looks sharp going into the semifinals. I was sad to see Ray leave because he was the mediocre golfer who was like, I can help you get okay, but not really get you get great. And I was like, I can relate to that. Yeah, I felt bad for him, but Brian was looking sharp and had some really great confidence. And we'll be talking about Brian some more right now as we go into the first round or the first hole of the second round, which was King Parthur's Court, which featured Brian versus Matthew Wookie Wookman. Brian had a really great tee shot, mm-hmm. right side of the sword, great roll towards the hole. Um, we were back to sitting side saddle on King Parthur's Court, so both of them got knocked out, and Brian just nailed it to move on to the final. And the second semifinal was. Perennial favorite, hole number two, which had Chelsea versus Tyler. Tyler had a beautiful putt all the way down there, just the right about pace, position, and then he topped that off with actually beating the obstacle. So given the fact that Chelsea put it right into the drink and then took it from the portal potty, she really had no chance to move on to the final, and we ended up with Tyler versus Brian in the final, and the final was my favorite hole, the distractor. And this time around, we sort of got bears for Rob Riggle. We actually had a chainsaw artist. And the interesting part here was that he was actually getting stuff all over the green. And it's been one of the few experiences on the distractor where the actual distraction was really changing the way the putting happened. Um, Mm -hmm. I always talk about on my episode, we had the red carpet that came out. So we were never putting on the actual tee or on the actual green. These guys were putting on the green, but through sawdust. So very similar to kind of the snow on ho ho hole that these guys had to deal with. Tyler dealt with it a little bit better. Again, who knows how many times they had to take a crack at it, but the editing gave him his first shot. He got through won the episode, and he is the last of our finalists. 
And it looked like he made it on the first attempt because Brian looked pretty bummed. And I think he was a little bit caught off guard by the fact that there were all of those like wood chips and carvings in the way of his putting. It's weird that this season that they put debris in the way of you getting to the cup not just obstacles, but like actually messed with the surface in a kind of a natural way. I don't know if I really like it, but kudos to Tyler for making that putt. It's not like he didn't make other great putts on the episode. It's just that Brian's one of those people I would have loved to see in advance and get to the finale because I think as we'll talk about with some of the other people that made the finale, I think people like him, Corey earlier in the season, and some of the more seasoned putters probably would have had a better chance at winning the whole thing than a few of the other people that advanced. So that was my thought on that wrap up. It was weird that they only used the distractor twice as well. Not sure why that was the case. Yeah, I don't know. And to to your point, this was uh, definitely one of the better putting final matchups that we've Mm -hmm. had because, yeah, Brian and Tyler were both spot on through the rest of the episode. So be interesting to see where that takes Tyler as we get to the final. We're now into, I guess, our still unnamed section where we talk about (laughs) other stuff on the show. I already covered the Bears part. I mean, that's been Riggle's running thing. I mean, I have a great screen cap of my own distractor episode of him just chanting bears, bears, bears. So while the chainsaw artist was carving bears, maybe not exactly what he want, but you have to know that they've been just playing into this running bit the whole time. One of the other things I saw, and I'm not, Tom, you're usually the one who picks out all of the like little stuff in the background of the episodes. Mm -hmm. But I noticed when I was watching Dutch Courage that on the parquet display behind them, it had We Heart Joe on the back and I was like oh that was really nice to to see and um I just happened to catch that and it brought a smile to my face because we all like Joe I did not catch that I'm usually really good about catching those small details the funny thing is my wife got a really weird detail when I paused to get up while we were watching she noticed the cars that were parked on the back side of the lot that would be sort of near agony of defeat. So when I did some testing on the show of some of the obstacles, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's where we parked our cars. <laughs> so it was like a little bit of a weird reality in the show that they try to make it this own goofy world, which speaking of which, the things that I really liked in the episode was lots of like costumed mascots at their like betting thing and the merch booth those little vignettes i just like how they look i think they're goofy they're also really good at covering up probably a safe way to do bits with covid that you have those masks and costumes on they did it throughout the whole season where just throw a bunch of people in the costumes and you at least get an approximation of like a mask and some distance with that alone so it was a smart move and it also keeps the fantasy world that ABC's parent company, Disney, is so good at putting together in their shows on a reality show, which few reality shows do well. You know, speaking of kind of the vignettes and stuff, and I didn't think about this until you mentioned it, was this, was there anything this episode with like the course Marshal Joe, like bar scene, <laughs> or th- there was no, no like cutscene stuff that they did. None of the pro mini golf. It was just <laughs> the whole explanations. Which... Can I say, like, I love Steph Curry. He's one of my favorite basketball players, but they always come off so wooden. I don't know if they're writing for him that way or if he's great at basketball and acting just isn't, like, his next best thing, which I'm not amazing podcaster either. So, like, he can't be good at everything. But, yeah, I 
I thought that was just like a little weird that that's all they had in the episode, but I did like the intro. I thought that was really cool that they set it up talking about the last person making it. They actually did a recap before they introduced like the players and the matches where they showed who the eight winners were. They showed finales from previous seasons, including the lost season, season one, which they reference all the time, but you can't actually watch episodes unless you find bootleg versions online. So I did think that was a nice continuity thing that they did now that we're talking about a show that has a fourth season that's already finished production will likely air next year that, you know, the show has a legacy and a history and they're actually like referring to it, which is cool. And I was secretly hoping because they did a similar recap on the distractor with the whole bears thing. And they were showing some of the stuff, Mm -hmm. including from season one. And I was like, Oh my God, maybe I'll have my chance on TV for like another two seconds. And they didn't show my episode. So sad crying noises. The only other thing that I had was I did mention this earlier when I was recapping round one, but I did find it surprising that both of our female golf pros who had some great intro videos, making some great shots, especially Emily had some wild trick shots, lost and kind of an unimpressive manner. I guess Emily, it really was Dutch courage that did her in. But I look back at this whole season and there was that one girl that did the podcast, like Why You Suck at Golf, that just kind of aided against the guy with the lightsaber. And there were just a lot of, I mean, I guess we've seen it over the years, like a lot of influencers that are in the golf influencer world. But I was shocked by how unimpressive like their actual playing was, especially given like this is part of their career path. You would think that they would have been like game and really practiced and ready for it. But hmm. well, it was a little jarring too, because... I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but I feel like when we watched the Australian Mm -hmm. season, it was a bit more balanced in terms of the female golf players coming out on top and and really like excelling where they should excel and going to the final. And I even think feel like season two is that way too, because you had, you know, Chelsea and Mallory in the final there as well. So I think that may not just be us seeing this season, but like, again, that cumulative aspect that made it stick out a little bit. And I think that bringing that into looking at my power rankings of the winners too, um, you know, I've been trying to to slate them through. And even then when I've, I've looked at my nine winners, I realized, well, I didn't do this purposely, obviously, but I had the only two women to make the final had, in my opinion, some of the rougher paths to getting their wins and weren't showcasing their skills as much as the guys who had won their particular episodes. And so I ended up having them both at the bottom of my power rankings. And you know, they may not be fair to them necessarily in terms of what their actual skills are, but in terms of the way the episodes portrayed them, if I looked at you know somebody like Cindy, who I don't think really had any good <laughs> putts, but managed to win because she could grab the pole on ho 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 compared to someone like Jose or Jack or Tyler or Blake all had extremely good putting that was put on display in their episodes. So, um, you know, running through, I, I don't know if I would definitely keep this order. If I were to rewatch this entire season again, knowing what I know now of the winners and kind of being able to compare them a little bit more, but for what it's worth, my power rankings going into the final as I had Jose as number one, Jack number two, I put Tyler as number three because he really only had trouble with the first windmill in this episode. He cleared hole number two. He did well in the distractor and his putting was excellent. Blake right after that, our buddy Biggie kind of middle of the pack and then Todd, Ben, Rachel, and Cindy coming up at the end. So 
as always, when we get to the final, I'll be interested to see how right or wrong I am. I have no inside information in terms of who comes out the winner. So we'll find out in about a week's time. Well, before I get into the whole story so far, I'm actually going to give my own power rankings. And I kind of took a look at them and I was like, I should give it a shot and see who I think is going to win it. And much like Pat, I had Cindy at the very bottom. If she wins the whole season, it will probably be the biggest shock. She seems very nice. She was impressive on Ho Ho Hole in the way that she like was able to land that really, really tough obstacle. But I just can't imagine her, you know, finishing it off. I had Todd at number eight, the guy from Wisconsin that won the other episode with the distractor. Sadly, I have our friend Biggie down at number seven. I I don't know why, but I for some reason I put Tyler above him on this last episode because I saw some impressive putting from him. And I saw some pretty good putting from Ben as well, who was able to beat the Pecker, which is pretty huge. I moved Rachel up to number four because I have a feeling that the obstacles, especially if they're using some of the holes, which I won't give it away, but they're definitely using some of the holes that have been used throughout the season and they're not all new. So I give Rachel a pretty good fighting chance to potentially win it. I think Jack's putting is really strong. That's why I had him at three. I had Hosea two, and I don't know. I just want Blake Sledge to win. It's such a power name. I just remember his putting being really good, and I just want to be hopeful that he could come out and win the whole thing, but we won't find out. But uh, why don't I... Uh... Why don't I jump into the whole story so far, and I'll do a pretty quick run-through of it. So we have all of our nine episodes done. As I expected, we are only getting 14 holes this season, including seeing the distractor twice. This episode, it was the very first time the hole number two was finished. We weren't totally sure whether on another episode it was completed, but Riggle and Tess confirmed it when Tyler went through it. And so what that leaves us with is throughout the entire season, no one was able to complete the obstacles on either Donut Hole or Holy Matrimony. And correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, here, but I believe we only had one ace all season, and it was on Double Dutch Courage, which has only one other ace, I believe, in the past that they've shown on the air, which was in season two of the U.S. by Ashley, who made the finale last season. Is that correct, Pat, to your memory? As far as I know, that's correct. I don't remember any other aces, especially because this season, the holes were really not as easily aceable. Like when you compare it to, it's funny, right? Because you look at a hole like Uranus, right? Which you would be like, man, that thing should never be aced. It has got way more aces than we've seen on other stuff. So I I think it's right. I think it's only that one that was Dutch Courage because the aces we saw on... God, Putter Ducky, that was in Australia. See, all these episodes nope. now are... Putter Ducky, no? Putter Ducky was in the US. It was our guest at the end of last season. Jennifer from out out east was the one that aced Putter Ducky early right. first season, or second season. Yeah, but then Australia had a... Did they not have somebody ace it too? I feel like... Anyways, whatever. I don't whatever. think so. <laughs> it's all blurring together, people. It's all, right, what is not blurring together is uh, we did only have the one ace this year on Dutch Courage. And... Maybe I'll go more into the stats on the holes this season like I did in Australia. But yeah, I mean, Donut Hole and Holy Matrimony were the only holes not finished. No one got past the first donut on Donut Hole. 
And honestly, the one person that made it through the ring on Holy Matrimony got completely crushed by the cake. There's a weird obstacle that was wildly more difficult than anything else, except for Ho Ho Ho, which was a little bit more dialed back version of Polcano, which I still say is probably the toughest obstacle of any of the seasons of Holy Moly to date. Before I get into design time, I just want to make reference that I did not ever do a design time on hole number two because I did it in the Australian season. But unlike the Australian season, the hole's a dogleg right versus kind of the hole being a little off to the right. Cornhole, it's the same premise as hole number two. You run past and hopefully you don't get blown up. Hole's a dogleg right, just like hole number two. It's the exact same putting structure. Ho Ho Hole is volcano with a Christmas theme. Fishing Hole is putter ducky with fish, water cannons, and a cool fishing motif that I really liked. Double Dutch Courage, just not really much to say about it other than it's a classic, and this time it was on fire. And I guess it's Double Dutch Courage and Fuego, or Double Dutch and Fuego. I forget the name. It's Woodmills on Fire. So what that leaves us with for design time are two holes, and I'm going to cover them both right now in design time with Mr. T. And the big one that I definitely wanted to save the best for last, in my mind, was Parkade. Parkade is our pinball-themed mini golf hole that is massive. It's sort of replacing last year's Uranus, where it's a big arcing shot. Actually, it's also like season one's arc day tri-golf. You do this big arcing shot, and you're trying to get the ball down in between the pinball-themed area that's got a replica that in many of... Uranus, the Putt Bunyan, the Windmill from Dutch Courage, the Pyramid from Nevertiti, and Putter Ducky. And what happens is the ball goes through these tubes that are out the side of it that look really cool, and it's all like really bright colors, and they go to slightly larger versions of those obstacles by the putting green, green, and they come out of pipe. And there's a ramp that they can go up and down on, but more or less, it's kind of pushing the ball towards the cup. I believe Uranus is the one that's had the best shots at all in one but no one aced it. I do think it'd be really weird because if you've watched any of the previous seasons, you'll note that the way that they're moving the ball from one place to the other isn't your traditional pipe that the ball just rolls down is physics. They usually have a person kind of push it out and the ball goes where it goes. In this case, it did look like the balls came out these tubes And if someone would have aced it, it'd been weird because it really wasn't a skill shot to get it up. You really just had to whack it and get it up there. And much in like your initial shot in a game of pinball where you're hitting that silver ball up, there's not a ton you can do with finesse once it starts rattling around up there and bouncing around. What we didn't see all season, and I'm looking at the image right now, is we never saw the ball go all the way through the obstacles and kind of slip down. I don't know what that result would be, but we never saw it. And I don't even know that we saw it go into all of them. I don't believe we saw it went into the windmill, but we saw it go in Uranus. We saw it go in Putter Ducky. We saw it in Never TT and we saw it in the Lumberjack. Ultimately, no one aced it. Most people got another two putts on the other side and used that ramp. And it looks amazing. As far as the obstacle goes, The genius of it, if you're looking at the hole from like a landscape perspective where you can see the flippers, the great thing is, is the people are trying to run across the flippers that visually match up really nice with the bigger pinball game above it. The flippers are moving at a really unpredictable pace 
And some of the people have really done well in getting across. I think we had the newlywed Zach, I think was his name, and Todd from Wisconsin that completed this. I don't know if anybody else completed it. Lots of people ate it. Some of the people got hit by the little flippers that, again, they're using that sort of foam material. The one thing that I will note that makes us a little bit harder, and I think I mentioned earlier in the year, is when they were filming back in the spring, it was cold. That was definitely what got back in all of the stories from people who were out on set. It was very cold, and you can kind of see some frost on those flippers. So getting across was no joke in addition to the timing of it. So it's just amazing hole. Honestly, you have to look at photos. I can't try to describe something that just looks this cool. So give it a look online and find an episode just to take this one. And if nothing else, it's probably one of my favorite visual cues. Love pinball. Love the callbacks to the game. And I hope they bring this back for the next season. I have a feeling they will. And the only other hole that I didn't discuss all season was Turfing USA, where you take a surfboard after you putt across an area of water where they shoot a cannon at you. It's sort of a variation of surf and turf or surfer turf or whatever the water cannon was. That thing was called water hazard a couple years ago. More or less, you're hitting up a wave-like structure. This time it's sideways and it kind of corkscrews. There's some sand over there. Some of the people hit it out of bounds on this one. I think it's another one of those things when they use those waves that you can get some really unpredictable and hard to hit putts through those structures. And I know that very firsthand from Surfer Turf and could not get over that wave. So I feel for the contestants on it. The one thing that I will call out on it is that we know that Ted Detweiler from the USPMGA has a connection to the show, I think it's like some sort of consultant role. But the Jeep that they had in the background of that hole looks almost identical to one that they have on their course in Myrtle Beach at Hawaiian Village. Did you catch that, Pat? I did. It looked very familiar. And also, Ted is a, I think, a professional surfer or semi-professional surfer. So kind of tying it all together there. We'll We'll have to ask him at the Masters if he had any input on that one. But it was a cool looking hole. Only one person got past that obstacle, and it was our twerking Tracy, and I think she won it, so it helped her. But it was an interesting hole that I hope is also one of the ones that they bring back for season four. I think we'll see quite a few of these holes back for season four, given how they did the filming. And I think we know at least we'll see two more holes, but having read what the finale hole is going to be, there's definitely going to be some design time talking about it because I'm very curious how they pull it off just from reading a description and not having seen it yet. So that's all you get from me on design time for this season, more or less outside the finale. I'm going to turn it over to Pat to wrap it up. And we'll be wrapping it up as always with some big thoughts, mini golf. So this past weekend reiterated that the world of mini golf can make for some of the best family you may have. Nancy Stoddard took over Dolphin Mini Golf when her husband Lee passed away in 2018, and each year since, she's looked forward to when her mini golf family returns in September to play the tournament. There's always plenty of stories to be told, sometimes tears to be shed, but overall for two days, our troubles seem to be left at the gates of the course. One of the unique things about mini golf as a sport is that the venues that we play at are often owned by these individuals or families, as opposed to, say, a basketball court or a football field. And that makes these types of memories possible. So why not join the family and get on some of the positive vibes? We all need them these days. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, pup when ready. Good luck, Biggie.